Well, good morning, Pathway Church. This is not exactly the way I intended to meet you. Uh, it's been strange circumstances for all of us. We're learning a new vocabulary to stay in place and social distancing. And uh, many of you are doing new routines. I know I am. Yesterday, I was in two Zoom conferences. And uh, my former staff would tell you I'm not exactly a techie pastor. And so I was really having trouble getting on Zoom. And Eric Smith must have sensed that. He called me on my iPhone and he was FaceTiming me. He said, now, Pastor, turn your phone toward your iPad and I can help you. And then he said, Pastor, toward your iPad, not your desk. And so then I had to get it in the right spot. And he did get me on and I was very grateful for that. Some of you are going through very different routines in your homes. If you have small children, it's kind of cool because they can entertain you. If you have small children and teenagers, you got chaos, and that's really entertaining. If you're at the stage in life that my wife Brent and I are in, uh, we have fewer options. You can listen to the drone of the news, or you can play Quirkle. Now, Quirkle is really designed for four people, but in our case, it's just us. And we've played a lot of Quirkle, and I should mention that most of the time I win. I want you to understand this morning that the storm does not last forever, but we do have storms. I was reading in John 17 this morning, Jesus' wonderful prayer, where he asked the Father not to take us out, but to protect us from the evil one. And then you get over in James, and he says that we're to count it all joy when we go through trials of many kinds. So we were warned there will be storms, but he walks with us in the storm, and the storm will end, and joy does come in the morning. It's important for us to understand that. This is Palm Sunday, the beginning of the most significant and important week in the life and the history of the church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, are the four Gospels. And in the four Gospels, they tell us about the earthly life of Jesus. Paul adds a little bit more of resurrection stories, but basically, it's those four Gospels. And in those four Gospels, one-third of the Gospels are devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. The people who were telling the story of Jesus wanted us to know that the most significant, important things about who Jesus was, why he came, and why he's important and central to our lives takes place in that last week. It's a week that's filled with words of emotion. Hosanna! We also hear confrontation and betrayal and denial, and trial, and scourging, and crucifixion, and tomb. And then the week ends with this amazing statement, He is not here. He is risen. Palm Sunday begins the week. It's a temporary triumph. It's a day of applause. Jesus probably planned the entrance into Jerusalem to be around the most holy of holidays, a Passover. Because Jews from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem at that time. And Jesus comes in on a donkey, and that's important. When generals went out to war or came home from war, they came in on huge horses, mighty warrior kings. 
If they were coming in peace, they came on a donkey. Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus was not a warrior king that they were expecting. Jesus instead was a king of peace and love. Now, it starts with a parade, and we all like parades. We love to come and worship and celebrate, and my, wasn't worship incredible this morning? And we love to see smiling faces, and I'm hoping you're smiling uh, wherever you are this morning. But life doesn't always happen as a parade, does it? Sometimes there's long nights when we wonder if we'll see the morning, and we're hanging on to our faith by our fingernails. Those are the times that we must choose again to walk by faith. Jesus knew that all those people who were shouting Hosanna had not decided to be his followers yet. They were there for the show. In fact, in John's gospel, it's careful to point out in chapter 12 that it was the raising of Lazarus from the dead that had kind of given Jesus super fame. And a lot of people would come just to see if he would do it again to experience his miracles. And God, in Luke's gospel, he tells us that they were praising God for all the miracles that he had done. He had changed depressed spirits. He had healed broken bodies. He had given sight to the blind. He had touched lepers. He had done all kinds of things. And, and as that was building into this crescendo at Jerusalem, because from the very beginning of the Gospels, Jesus has been heading toward Jerusalem. And it's kind of contagious. But the week deteriorates pretty quickly. It begins to go downhill. He's betrayed by one of his friends. His closest circle said, we'll never leave you, but they do. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's sweating drops of blood and praying to the Father, his disciples could not stay awake for just an hour. When he's on his way to Calvary, he's been beaten and scourged and he's weak. He can't carry the cross, and there's no friends to help him. They have to pull a stranger from the crowd to help him carry the cross. Where are the disciples who said they would follow him? Palm Sunday is a revival, is a reminder that the applause always goes away. The parade never lasts. I have in my office two sets of files that I've kept over the years. And I have them by years. One's a blessing file and one's a cursing file. In the blessing file, people will say things like, Pastor, you are so kind. You've been so nice to my family. Thank you for all that you've done. And what's ironic, in the other file, a year later, I'll hear, you don't care. We're leaving the church. One file will say, Pastor, You've helped me so much with your preaching and teaching. It's helped me to have greater understanding of, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then three years later, the same person in the other file says, we're not being spiritually fed and we're leaving the church. Palm Sunday does not surprise me at all. It teaches that if we seek only the approval of the crowd... It will always be disappointing. Either we will disappoint them or they will disappoint us. 
I've been a pastor of three churches, two of them for over 15 years, one for 10 years. And during that time, I can tell you over and over and over again that the experience has been that you're never quite good enough. And so I always tell the people when I start out, I say, at some point, if I stay here long enough, I'm going to disappoint you. I'll forget to make a call. I'll forget to be at a particular place. Uh, I won't be at the hospital when you're having surgery at just the right time. And you will disappoint me. That's just the nature of being human. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fall short. And that's the reason that uh, it's important that we decide who we're going to play our life to. If we're going to play our life to the crowd, it will always be disappointing. Our very best efforts will never quite be good enough. So we need to worship and play our life to God because God is the only audience that really matters. And while the crowd may say you're not good enough, God always says, I love you. You are my beloved. I've been amazed that as Jesus is going through this week of suffering, that he does it with such great confidence. Now, we've been going through a, a suffering time as a people, as COVID-19 has kind of messed up our world. And we're trying to figure out, okay, what do we, what do, we do and how does this work? And some people are annoyed because it's changed their lifestyle. And other people are uh, a little frightened because you fall into that dangerous category. And what amazes me as I think about Palm Sunday is Jesus is entering Jerusalem. He's not concerned about this huge, horrible death that he's facing. He knows he's facing. He's concerned about the people and the crowd. It says in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse 41, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Wouldn't it be great if, if we could have the perspective of Jesus. Jesus found purpose in his pain. He chose the immediate struggle as a necessary part of the greater good that God was doing. As difficult as Gethsemane was to endure, it was only a small part of the great act that God was unfolding. God is always up to something bigger than we understand and that we can explain. I always find it amazing that in the midst of Jesus facing all these horrible trials, his heart is for the people. He's thinking about individuals. When he's on the cross and he's dying for all people for all times, he's taking on the sin of the world for that day and for our day. I thought I heard him say, Will someone take care of my mom? John, she's, she's your mother now. I need you to watch out for her. He didn't forget. We hear the parade and the crowd shouting, but Jesus saw and heard Peter and his fear, Thomas and his doubts. The woman who brought her son hoping that he would touch him. The prostitute who was looking for a way out of the lifestyle that she was trapped in. Jesus saw them all and he cared. Do you believe that Jesus cares about your hurt and your pain and your concerns? 
My first Sunday at Monroe City Church of God, little town with, with no stores except for a service station, and, a, and they serve hamburgers in the service station. But they have this incredible church there. And I've been called to be the interim pastor, the tips pastor there. It was my first Sunday. I'm in my study. I'm preparing for the sermon. And I'm a little concerned because, you know, I haven't met these people. And uh, I did at least get to see them. I don't get to see you this morning. So I'm, I'm there and I'm trying to prepare. And all of a sudden, my door swings open. This gangly teenager comes walking in. And he walks up and sticks out his hand. He goes, hi, I'm David, and I'm going to be adopted in a few weeks. Me and my brothers and sisters, we're all going to be adopted. Well, he had my attention. I said, David, tell me, tell me your story. And he went on to tell a story of brokenness and abuse. At 15 years of age, he had been in six foster homes. But for the last two years, he had been in the home of Jim and Kim, I met Jim and Kim later. Jim's a coal miner, and, and Kim is just this vivacious woman, loving heart. The first time I met Jim, he pulled out his wallet, and he showed me a picture of his son. Jim and Kim had been through some storms. Their son had committed suicide three years earlier. And the pain was obviously there. He had mental illness. And they made a decision, instead of staying in their pain. They were seeking out children who were in pain, and they wanted to give them a new life. And so they were adopting this family of five. I'm going to tell you more about David's story next Sunday, but this morning I just want you to know that out of all the hurting people in the world, Jesus saw David. Jesus cares about David. We see masses of people. Jesus sees individual hearts. We see pain and tragedy. Jesus sees God's great plan for our eternal well-being. I've learned that you can never make assumptions about a crowd simply by their appearance. We never quite know what they're doing. A few years ago at Whitechapel in Daytona, I was speaking. It's the end of the service. I'm giving the invitation. Brenda had to go out into the lobby and while she was out there, she saw Teddy. He was looking through the glass door, and he was crying. And Brenda walked over to him and said, Teddy, what's wrong? And he said, my life is such a mess. I wish I could be like those people in there. His life was a mess. He'd been in and out of prison. He'd been in drug recovery so many times. And she said, oh, Teddy, if you only knew the stories of the people in there, they're broken stories that God has healed, that Christ has healed. They're stories that would break your heart and how God has brought his wholeness to them. And Teddy, he can do that for you too. You see, there were probably people listening today who have some brokenness, who have some hurt that nobody else knows, but God knows and he cares. Jesus looks beyond the crowd and sees individual hearts. And it breaks his heart that they're not following his plan. Is there someone you're praying for this morning that it breaks your heart that they have not yet found Jesus? It might be a child or a grandchild or a friend. Is there someone that you're concerned about? Someone like Robert 
I read the title to an article a few years ago, and the title of the article was, Jesus Would Have Eaten Chinese Food with Robert. Well, the title had me. I had to read the article. Because Jesus was often accused of spending time with sinners. And I think he would have eaten Chinese food with Robert. Robert was from the South. He was this big, huge guy. He was 33 years old. He looked 50 because of his rough life. He had been on drugs forever. He spoke atrocious English. He lived in one of the worst sections of Boston. He had no home. He was in a shelter. He was a sad story of a wounded and wayward life. Robert and his girlfriend, Beulah, had been going to see Pastor John Enser, who was a counselor for that people living in that neighborhood. And uh, Pastor John had been trying to teach Robert about being a good husband and being a good father, and those were all foreign concepts to Robert. He, he didn't know those things. On the third counseling session with he and Beulah, they found out Beulah's pregnant and that Robert and Beulah have never even been divorced from their first spouses, and they've been living together for seven years. Robert had no money, he had no driver's license, he had no job, he had no home, and he couldn't read. What do you do with Robert? I mean, what do you, what do you say to him? Robert was one poor, messed up soul, but every night in his shelter, Robert gets down on his knees, and he asks God to help him do good. And he can't read, so he puts his Bible under the pillow so that God will know that he's trying to do right. John took Beulah to a home for a Christian home for unwed mothers, and he was having Chinese food with Robert. And it was a sight because Robert had messy clothes and big long dreadlocks, and Pastor John was his clean cut pastor. And he's trying to teach Robert how to sound out words, and he's talking to Robert about Jesus. And as he's leaving the restaurant, he smiled, and he thought to himself, I bet Jesus would have had Chinese food with Robert. The easy path would be to slip Robert five bucks and, and go on with your life. But humility is the way of Christ. In Philippians 2.8, it tells us that he humbled himself. Humility has to do with submitted willingness. We take the focus off of us and we place our focus on others. We as believers know that our source of hope is not the stock market. It's not even a cure for the coronavirus. Our hope is in Christ. He's the only hope that really matters. It, there will not always be cheering crowds. There will be Gethsemanes. There will be nights when everybody else is asleep and you're the only one that's holding on to faith. Life doesn't always go exactly the way we planned it. Joe Stoll is the former president of Moody Bible College, and he grew up with Craig Stilwell, and they were childhood friends and went to college together. They married their sweethearts. And after college, Craig and Marty, Marty was Craig's wife, they decided to take a run on the wild side. They left the church. But God pursued them. God always pursues us. And they came back to Christ, and they became missionaries in Haiti. And one morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, 
Joe Stillwell, Joe uh, Stoll gets a phone call from Marty. And Craig had dove into a pool thinking it was deep and it was shallow and he had hit his head and it had swollen up like a balloon. And he had, was in the hospital and she was crying and she said, Joe, I, I don't know if he's going to make it. And two hours later, she called back and, and she said, Joe, Craig is dead. She's sobbing. She's sitting alone. She's in her 20s in a dirty hospital in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. What do you say? They didn't teach you in seminary what to say at that moment. What do you say? Well, I probably wouldn't have said what Joe Stowell said. He said, Marty, relax. What kind of advice is that? Marty, relax. It's the kind of advice that God's Word gives us. David writes in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Cease your striving and know that I am God. The Hebrew text for be still literally means relax. It means to place your arms by your side and to let go and to relax. Drop your arms, cease striving. How? How do you do that? How do, how do I know that it's going to be okay? Because God says that He is Lord of all. And I believe that God is in control of the outcome. Can I relax? Can I trust God and turn it over to Him even when I'm not quite sure? It would help if, if God would show us exactly how it's going to turn out, but often He doesn't do that. David tells us in Psalm 46 some things that we can know about God. It says in verse 1, He's our refuge. He's our strength. God's our protector. He gives us grace in our darkest hours. Now, what does that have to do with Palm Sunday? Jesus knew that he was facing this, this horrible week, but he also knew that God had a plan. And because he knew and trusted God's plan, he was able to resist the temptation to call 10,000 angels. He was able to resist the temptation to strike back when he was struck. Maybe if we believe that God has a plan, we can cease striving, cease being anxious, place our arms by our side, and relax. He's already told us where the path is going to take us. It's going to take us by way of Calvary and the cross. I was thinking this morning, most of my ministry, I've said something like this to the church. God wants the church to be outside the walls. We are... Uh, not a building. We're a body. And God sends us out. And you even have a sign out here as you leave this church campus that you're entering the mission field. Well, guess what? God took us up on it. He closed the building and sent the church out. And what are we going to do about it? How are we going to function? John 12, 23 to 26 says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me will follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus calls us to trust the plan, to quit striving, to be still and know. The way of surrender is not easy for any of us. The question is one that we must answer this Holy Week just as Jesus had to answer. Will I release my life to Christ or will I try to fix my problems one more time? Joe Gardner is the founder of Common Cause and he has an old man that's kind of been his teacher and sage over the years. And what he loves about him is this is always the question he asks of total strangers. What have you done that you believe in and are proud of? He thinks it's a much better question than what do you do for a living? What have you done that you believe in and that you're proud of? Well, for the Christian, the answer really is pretty simple. I have put my arms to my side and I'm following God's plan. Jesus came to a city that was roaring with applause But he saw more than the crowd. He saw faces. He saw hearts that needed healing. Do you believe that he knows your face this morning? That he's listening to you? Not long ago, I was on this huge plane. And on the plane, as we're traveling, uh, I got stuck in the middle seat. And that's not a fun seat. And I was beginning to look around the plane just to see the faces of the people and wondering what's going on in their lives. What are they thinking about? And I was reminded of a story that I read about an evangelist who was going to this huge convention. He'd been invited as a guest speaker. He had requested an aisle seat because he wanted to make sure that he could work on his presentation while they were flying. Well, somehow he got stuck in a center seat between a businessman and a young girl with Down syndrome. And he's kind of cramped in there, and he's trying to study, and they're flying. And all of a sudden, the girl pokes him in the side. Hey, mister. He tries to ignore her. There's no ignoring. Hey, mister. Did you brush your teeth? And he smiled, and he said, yes, yes, I did. That's good. Then you won't get cavities. He goes back to his study, and she pokes him again. Hey, mister. Do you smoke? He said, no, I don't smoke. That's good. Then you won't get sick and die. And then a couple minutes later, she pokes him again. He's kind of frustrated. Hey, mister, do you know Jesus? And he smiled and touched her on the shoulder and said, yes, yes, I know Jesus. That's good. Then you'll get to go to heaven with him. And the minister went back to his work preparing for his conference when she pokes him again. Hey, mister, ask that man beside you if he brushed his teeth. She's thinking, he's thinking, oh, man. And he tries to ignore, but there's no ignoring. And finally, he turns to this well-dressed businessman and goes, did you brush your teeth? This little girl wants to know. He said, yes, I did. Ask him if he smokes. Ask him if he knows Jesus. And on the third question, this refined businessman began to weep. And he goes, how do you know that I've lost my job, my world's falling apart, and no, I don't know Jesus? And suddenly, 
the minister was reminded that Jesus was not about the crowds. He was about individual hearts, people that need him so desperately. The last eight years that I pastored in Daytona at Whitechapel Church, we made a decision, you know, we're so close to the ocean, we ought to have a sunrise service at the ocean. So those last eight years, we did that. And uh, it was, it was kind of hard. You had to get up at four o'clock in the morning, and you had to go there when it was still dark. And uh, the sound people took a generator and set up the sound. And, and my job was to take a shovel and dig a hole and a big concrete block and put the cross in there and drape it with white cloth. And when the sun came up, it was so incredible to see this cross standing with the white cloth. And at the end of the service, we would have a baptism and people would wait all year to get baptized in the ocean. And we had a Christian school there and we would often baptize students from the school. Sometimes we baptize 20, we baptize as many as 50. Now in this particular Easter Sunday, the water was really cold. And I'm out there, I baptized a couple people, I'm shivering, and I'm thinking, i got to get out of here because we had an 8.30 service at the church, so I had to go change clothes and get there and hope my teeth would quit chattering. But before I could get out of the water, they bring out this Chinese girl to me. And I didn't recognize her from church, and I didn't recognize her from school. She looked like she was college age. And so I asked her, I said, when did you accept Jesus as your Savior? And tears began to go down her cheek, and she said, a couple of minutes ago. She was walking down the beach and heard the music and heard the message and gave her life to Christ. Jesus doesn't care about the crowds. He cares about individual people. He cares about David. He cares about a Chinese girl walking down the beach. So let me ask you this morning, did you brush your teeth? Do you know Jesus? Are you fearful and anxious? Relax. Put your arms to the side and trust his plan for your life. Would you pray with me? Father, today, as we gather in unusual circumstances, maybe divinely ordained circumstances, as you take the church outside the walls and you ask us to be Jesus, not to a crowd, but to individuals, to love them, to weep over them, to encourage them, to pray for them. And Lord, if there's some folks listening today who are fearful or anxious or broken inside, May your healing and your love come to them in an amazing way. We just want to follow the plan, God. In Christ's name, amen. Let's just respond this morning, church. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone 
this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand oh
bless you church we'll see you next weekend 10 o'clock with our big easter service online we love y'all be blessed